There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. I can't believe it's, uh, it's now over 10 years now since we first started recording. And uh, I do hope you had the opportunity to listen to the show last week, uh, which was our sort of 10th anniversary special. I was interviewed by seven, seven former show guests. And to be honest, I didn't quite know what, um, what they were going to do, but they were very, very kind. And uh, I, I sort of had the opportunity to share some of my insights, some of the, the, the sort of key reflections from 10 years of hosting the show. Um, so if you're not listening to that one, it's in the archive. Uh, do listen to it. So thank you for the, the, the comments as well that people have been sending in to me. And uh, I even had some nice gifts arrive this week, which was a real surprise. Um, but on today's show, I've got a really, really exciting guest for you today. I'm uh, absolutely delighted to be welcoming Neil McCoy Ward. We're going to talk about preparing for tomorrow. Now, Neil and I talked maybe three, four years ago about him being guest on the show, and uh, it never quite happened. He was busy, and uh, and and things kind of happened with his very, very um, dynamic and busy entrepreneurial kind of life and career. And I'm having had the opportunity to catch up with him now. I'm astonished with what's happened in those three or four years and uh, really excited to hear what he's got to say. And I think if you're, you know, you've been wondering about the last 10 years and about how, you know, thinking about how disruptive of late uh, the world has become, um, are, we, are you prepared for what might happen both financially and economically um, over the next 10 years? And that's the kind of question I'm going to be putting to Neil today, because Neil is the group CEO of Forward Thinking Group UK. And, and what I'm fascinated about is he spent his life literally traveling the globe. He seemed to spend three months in the UK, three months in America, six months um, when there's not a pandemic, um, moving around the world, just trying to understand the kind of key problems and issues and, uh, that are going on in the world so he can help his uh, extensive audiences. He's a highly decorated soldier. He's an experienced CEO, investor, financial forecaster, housing market expert, and he's a best-selling author. Um, he's particularly known for his, his controversial um, sometimes, but also his, his expertise in the areas of finance, investment, and the housing markets. He's got a huge social following of, uh, of over 285,000 people who are looking at his research and, and his recommendations and his forecasts, which uh, have often beaten the, the biggest and largest and most well-known research companies. Um, fascinating, uh, fascinating life, fascinating guest. Big welcome to Neil McCoy Ward. Thanks, Chris. I hope I can live up to that that uh, introduction there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very welcome. Um, I, I have been literally, I've been quite blown away watching some of your videos, which you, you sort of pointed me in the direction. There's a whole new world of Neil McCoy Ward that I, I had um, had passed me by, but it clearly hasn't passed a lot of people by. Um, so, you know, full, full respect for, for what, you, what you're doing and the platform you've created. And I know you work closely with your wife as well. Uh, on on some of these things but yeah it's really seriously impressive um so we've got to before we go into that though i want to find out about what makes you tick 
So what was life like growing up for you, Neil? And, and, and I know you joined the you joined the military, but why? And mm. look at your path now. Yeah, yeah well, so I, I grew up in Coventry, which is a city right in the centre of England in the United Kingdom. And it was known as more of an industrial city. Most people worked in the the car industry. So there was, you know, Ford and Peugeot and, you know, all these big plants, Jaguar, Land Rover. You know, there's all the sort of big plants there. So I grew up there. My father worked at, at Jaguar Land Rover as well, or Jaguar at the time. And um, I, I would say it was a pretty tough upbringing mm-hmm. as most big inner cities um, of the day. It was a, it was a hard upbringing, uh, which looking back on it now, I didn't like it at the time. And I remember that I was upset about certain things as you are as a kid. But, you know, now looking back on it, I feel like it was a, it was a great um, upbringing that helped me to become the person I am today, actually. So let me give you an example. On the playground, all the kids had the latest Nike trainers and Adidas and all that. I had high techs, <laughs> right? You know, the, the high tech kind yeah. of trainers and, yeah. and um, you know, not all the latest brands and fashions and, mm. and stuff like that. So I had to actually think outside the box and say, how can I make some money to go and do that sort of stuff? because my parents were very strict on it. They weren't going to give me um, pocket money and stuff like that. I had to go and earn and and work for everything. So that really helped me to get started in entrepreneurship. But then I kind of parked it because I didn't do well at school. I didn't get the, the only things I did well at was business studies and graphic design and PE, obviously, but uh, uh, business studies, graphic design. Well, there wasn't really much I could do with that because I didn't have good grades in math and English and science and all of this. So I wanted to, one thing I wanted to do was join the Royal Marines. And they've sort of, you know, laughed at me because of how small I was at at sort of 15 years old wanting to go and do that. And they said, absolutely no way you'll never get in. So I went to the gym and I ran an exercise and bulked up and all that. They still said no. So the, luckily the British army said, yeah, we'll have you. And uh, I was actually the youngest soldier from my intake. I was uh, 17 years old and the average age was they were in their sort of mid twenties, I guess, most of the guys. So that was a real baptism of fire you know, going from a tough upbringing, but then going into the military at 17 was even tougher. So I guess that's the sort of, without us spending two hours talking about my life around that, mm. that's, that was it. And I went to the military at, at 17. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm reflecting now. I was from Scunthorpe, the steel town. I'm not sure actually fashion even got that, got that far North actually. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that problem, but we had very close friends uh, that we'd met on a holiday who lived in Coventry and he were and he and his his friends that we got to know they all worked in for for Jaguar Land Rover and people like that as well so mm. we probably had we probably had a quite a similar upbringing in some ways uh, yeah. so I, I get what you say um but you you went you actually um you know you achieved significantly didn't you in the in the military and you were you were attached to the SAS in the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah that, for a few that, years, yeah. That can't have been easy. I mean, just what, what was life like and what was the most scariest moment for you in all of that? Gosh, I could tell you a, a hundred scary moments being attached to the SAS guys. Um, so, yeah, that was difficult as well. I remember when I first went over there for an interview, 
because I wanted to, I said from day one, that's what I wanted to join. Um, and there's obviously a six month selection process. That's not the route that I went in on. That was, I mean, I trained for that day and night. Um, I think I told you earlier in the week when you were, when we had a quick call that I was up at 4am every Saturday, every Sunday morning, I was up in the Brecon Beacons training with 60 pounds of weight on my back um, every weekend without fail, uh, rain or shine or deep snow once, which is a, a crazy story where I almost had to be rescued off a mountain. Don't, don't do what I did, but uh, that's dedication for you. But it was, a, it was really, really tough. It was probably one of the hardest jobs you can ever get into in the world because if you think there's only a few SAS squadrons within a regiment and actually going into that was, I mean, I can't even tell you how, how difficult it was to get that job because there's only really two or three guys that get into the squadron as, as an attached soldier. You've really got to be like the best out of what you do to, to do that because they, you wouldn't get the respect. They would just cheat. I saw guys that came in and they were just kicked out within a week because you've got to, You've got to have that level of respect and humility mm. and you've got to be able to perform as well because wherever wherever the squadron goes, you have to go. It's not like, you know, I, I obviously I can't say certain places we went to, but it's not, you know, if you've got to jump out of a plane or you're doing some tr sort of training or something like that, you can't just be like, oh yeah, I'll just drive in and, you know, I'll, I'll see you later on. No, you, you have to do everything that the, the squadron does in, in some regards. Um, scariest thing i could tell you a lot of a lot of things but w without going into sort of mission type of things i remember one of the hardest training exercises that i had to do and that was a helicopter dunker training i don't know if you've ever heard of this before oh my word yes i have seen i saw a pro tv program and it scared the life out of me oh my god <laughs> yeah so what happened one day was it was sprung on me i didn't know that we were going to do this i thought it was parachute training or something like that but no it was an olympic size swimming pool so i didn't even have my shorts i don't know what i was thinking this day but it's olympic size swimming pool and there's a there's a shell of a helicopter above it and, and you're like a lot of air crew will be listening to this saying oh yeah i know what you're talking about and you're in your full gear you get strapped in and then they drop this helicopter into the pool and as it goes to the bottom of the pool and then you have to very like methodically and politely wait your turn unclip and climb out the you know swim out the window and all that that was the worst for me because i was always one of the last out <laughs> and there was a couple of times you know i'm like drowning and have to be fished out so that was probably the worst sort of training thing i had to do obviously apart from you know the brecon beacons over that with um you know 60 to 70 pounds some days of of weight on your back but uh you know these are the things you do uh you know if you want to if you want to achieve in life i suppose yeah and you i know you, I know you had all sorts of commendations and it's like Afghanistan and Iraq. And so you've really, we won't, we won't go into that. I think as uh, certainly Afghanistan <laughs> at the moment, we could probably talk about that for the rest of the show, but yeah. I'm kind of, you, I know you, you kind of developed your career through um, in, in the military for, for you, you know, a few more years and, and you were doing very well in there, but then you decide to go out into civilian life. Did, um, did they open their arms and welcome you and uh, take, take on mm -hmm. board all the experience and wisdom that you'd acquired? No, I was really <laughs> shocked by this, Chris, actually. I thought because of my CV or my resume that I would walk out and I would be headhunted left, right, and center. I thought every um, contracting, military contracting company and um, private security, bodyguards, um, 
you know, weapons manufacturers. I thought everyone would be after me. Um, no, no one. I had to fight tooth and nail to get into, um, just to get job interviews like Lockheed Martin and, you know, some weapons companies. I did go and work for a private security company for a short while who does all the, you know, the guarding on the ships and, um, you know, trying to fight off pirates and all that sort of stuff. I was, I was with that company for a short while. Um, but yeah, it was difficult. It was so, so difficult. And in the end, I, I pretty much ran out of money, actually. So I'd gone from being very successful, the top of my career, living in London eventually, because I got my last posting in, in central London. To, there was a new garrison being set up, basically, which looked after the guards for Buckingham Palace. So I went and helped with that. I was in the headquarters there for my last year. So I was in London and ran out of money very quickly because you don't realize actually how expensive London is when you're paying for everything, when the army's not paying for it for you, you know, your apartment and food and transport and entertainment and things like that. So it, it was really tough. I'd gone from the top of my game right to the bottom and I had to, and that's how I ended up back in Coventry actually for a while because I just thought, right, I, I'm in dire straits here. Um, you know, people always laugh. They say, why do you tell people you went from really successful to, you know, you were almost sleeping on a couch type thing. And it's because I don't care. I'd rather tell the truth to people of what life is really like than to, you know, have everyone assume and think that life is just easy and people become successful overnight and all this. There's no such thing. It is you fail forward in life. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you told that story because you've, you've got a, an exciting life now, um, but you you had that period like sleeping on couches. And, and when I first met you, you got all these entrepreneurial businesses. So what, what, what um, sparked you to become an entrepreneur? And what would you, how would you describe yourself today? I mean, I think I'm guessing you're someone who likes quite a bit of variety because you've got a number of different interests in your portfolio, but you seem to become particularly known around your, you know, your, your business kind of forecasts and uh, predictions and wisdom around what's going on globally how do you how would you, you know, how did that happen how would you describe yourself today yeah that was really by accident so last year i was in my main role as a ceo role and all the lockdowns happened and i tell you and all these ceos that say oh yeah i knew exactly what to do and how to handle it and they're talking nonsense i don't know why they keep saying this i keep seeing interviews with them and they're trying to it's all the ego really I'll tell you what happened. When that happened last year to me, the first thing that I said was, oh my goodness, calling meetings, speaking to directors and managers and staff. I said, look, I, I haven't got a clue what's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen, um, but we're just going to have to work together, work as a team, and we're just going to have to figure this out and do whatever we need to do. Now, the difference is I put staff first and I always have done. I don't put profits first. And this is why you're seeing a lot of problems with businesses right now and all the collapses and the short worker shortages and supply chain breakdowns, because they've been putting profitability first before their employees. See, I do the opposite. And that's why we haven't had major difficulties because the employees have pulled together and they've taken care of, we figured it out together. Um, yeah. What was your question again? Cause sometimes yeah, no, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get, yeah, now I'm trying to get a little bit of a shape of, uh, of, okay. I kind of get a bit of a shape of what, you know, what you, how you would classify yourself right now. And what, and what mm. do you actually, what okay. are your businesses? Yeah. So those businesses are mainly in the real estate housing market 
industry. So, you know, we used to do development work. We don't do development work anymore. Um, we did home improvements. We don't do that anymore. So what we specialize now are some quite unique types of property investment from, um, and this came about, again, purely by, I always take opportunities when they're presented to me. So an opportunity purely by chance came up in Coventry. And what happened was the, there's something called an empty homes officer at the council. And this gentleman said, we've got all these people that, um, sorry, we've got all these homes that are empty and they're derelict and they need improvement, but the landlords haven't got the money. So they just sat there. I mean, thousands of these houses just empty. Mm -hmm. So the same day I was speaking to someone from an association called Whitefriars, and that's basically the housing association where they help people like ex-soldiers, people who are homeless to get into housing. And I went, hold on, hold on. Wait a second. All these empty houses, all these people that need housing. So straight away, I said, I wonder if there's any grants for this. So mm-hmm. I looked into it and I found out there were grants. So I went back to the empty homes officer, went to the council, et cetera. And we started renovating all these houses and putting all these people that were homeless into the houses. And we then got a cut in the middle. So that was the first business. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, we're, get, we're going to get a commercial break now. But after the break, what I want to do is find out you know, a little bit about your your podcast, but also let, talk about some of the things, some of the themes that are coming through that. So there's things like you talk about the Great Reset, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, also you um, you share lots of wisdom around property and around investment. But also, what I noticed too is you, you know, you're you're fascinated in kind of the climate and the the water problems, and so it seems like you you're kind of touring the planet looking for the things that are important and are going to shape our lives going forward. So I'd like to sort of get into a few of those after the break as well if we can so we're we'll back again with you in just a couple of minutes do um, join us after the break i promise you this is going to be get really really interesting although it has been already so we're we'll back again with you again in just a couple of minutes when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Neil McCoy-Ward. We're talking about preparing ourselves for tomorrow, but we've actually been looking at yesterday, really. We're looking at uh, Neil's background and his history, and there's, there's so much more in there that I'd love to explore. Um, how I'd like to start thinking um, about tomorrow, if we can. And uh, one of the things you've become very, very famous for globally has been your, uh, your YouTube channel. Uh, as I say, I've been watching some of your videos. I'm quite, really quite fascinated by them, and I think I might become uh, a regular. Um, tell us a little bit about you know the about this youtube channel and also the kind of topics and subjects and you know why you're doing it mm, yeah well the youtube actually this carries on from your last question chris which was how i got into it so purely by accident last year so this was in march time i didn't have anything to do <laughs> i mean i'm i'm not joking once we all the lockdown started i had nothing to do really maybe a one day worth of work each week so i thought i'm going to just start this youtube channel and I started the channel and I started with some, you know, general topics, which people weren't really interested in. And then I hit on a couple of topics that people were interested in was housing market and investing and stuff. So I started leading into that and it just exploded up from there. Uh, I think it was probably one of the fastest growing YouTube channels. It went from zero to 385,000 subscribers in the space of a year or something. It was, it was crazy. Mm. And Predominantly, what I focus on is housing market. Uh, well, actually, the biggest thing is just global macroeconomics, uh, macroeconomics, uh, the global economy, GDP, um, interest rates, etc. Uh, talk about central banking, investing, housing market, finance, um, precious metals, investment, stock market. Uh, there's loads, really, I talk about. And then more recently, so what I do, I let my subscribers dictate the way the channel goes which is a quite an unusual approach, but I find it works quite well. So I let them tell me what they want more of. So recently, they've been asking a lot about climate, uh, water, food shortages, um, supply chain breakdowns, et cetera. So the last couple of months, I've been focusing heavy, heavily on that to just explain all this, break it down so people understand what is actually going on. Mm, yeah, F- fascinating. What are, so what are... Tell me, um, uh, ha- you know, you, you, we obviously have that spell of you, but you military, you've, um, I know you've had a number of entrepreneurial businesses and the latest about housing. How, how, how have you become an expert on all of these different areas? Um, <laughs> I know you've traveled a lot around the world, but, but you know, how, how have you yeah. done it? Well, firstly, the travel has really helped. So uh, as well as reading thousands of books over the last 15 years or so, probably, no, sorry, 20 years or so, just reading thousands of books. I read uh, two to three hours every day. So that's the most important thing. Uh, obviously, most people can't do that because they have nine to five jobs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm able to manage my time really well. And actually, um, you know, I'm able to, to read a lot. So that, that helps being able to, to read. And what I do is first and foremost, I read, I find out who the top experts are in the world and I just read all of their material. And then I start finding out, oh, there's these two, three, four, five other people who are top experts in the world on this top. I read all their material. And then I sort of, so people call me an expert in different topics. I, I don't really say that about myself. Yeah. I, I consider it more a case of um, I'm very good at 
getting through all the, the noise and get into the nitty gritty and find out exactly what's going on as opposed to what the media or what the government might say is going on. I'll, I'll sort of break through all the white noise and, mm. and say, okay, this is specifically what's happening here. Mm. And what, what are you seeing as the, what are the key issues, trends that are on your mind at the moment when it comes to the future that people, you know, people in, in people in business, people who are listening to this show at the moment mm. that they might need to have, an, have some understanding of. Well, not to worry everyone too much, but I'm not optimistic for the future at all. And I've been saying this since right at the start of the pandemic, that I just do not see it the way other people see it. A lot of other business owners see it. And you see, the the problem is everyone thinks that we're in this booming economy because, oh, we're just in this booming economy because the government and the Federal Reserve and everyone else says so. That's actually not true. That's what you've seen on the face of it. But what's actually happening? Why is the stock market exploding? Why is the housing market exploding? Equities and all these other things. You've got to ask the question, where's all this money coming from? Yeah. This is what no one ever asks. It doesn't just come out of, you know, thin air, although that is actually what happens. So this is, this is the lowdown on it. Central banks create currency out of thin air. And, and that is fact. A lot of people don't like it when I say that, but that is a fact. They create it out of thin air. They then have these accounts and, and commercial banks have accounts with the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve will then put money, so they're, they're swaps, they put money into these accounts and this creates liquidity. So the key here is liquidity. So you have liquidity and the more liquidity it's created, and this is what's known as QE. You'll have probably heard this term before, quantitative easing. Yeah. So let's say the government creates all these bonds, for example, or who buys them? It's the Federal Reserve. So they buy them. Where does the money come from? They, in, they create it. So then you can, so it's very complex, but I'm trying to make it simple. So you have all this liquidity, new liquidity. And I always describe it as a, a jug of water. So let's say you've got a jug of water and that jug of water is full, but then you put it under a tap and you fill it more and more and more. That jug of water doesn't stay at the same level. The water spills out. And that's the same with the economy. So the reason the economy is expanding and all these assets are expanding is because there's more currency. Now, listen to what I'm saying there, more currency. That doesn't mean more money. Money and currency are completely different things. So money would be like gold or silver. That is real money. Currency is just paper or digital numbers on a screen. So this is actually what's happening. Now, a couple of, well, when I actually back last springtime, I said, this is going to end very badly because what's going to happen is once you do a round of QE, the inflation always comes 12 to 18 months later. Mm-hmm. And it will be in almost direct correlation with the amount of QE produced. So what we're now seeing is all this inflation. Now, this is a double hit in inflation. And I don't think the central banks expected this. Why? Because they were only looking for QE inflation when they did their forecast. What they weren't seeing is the, the supply chain breakdowns and what would happen with employment. So people getting stimulus, i.e. not working, human nature, path of least resistance, etc. So all of this combined has created this perfect storm for inflation. And they're saying, oh yeah, transitory, few months. No, no, that's that's not true. So all everyone that's investing based in on 
on this transitory inflation theory for a few months, it's going to be caught out very badly. Because the inflation, you've still got easily 18 months worth of QE inflation coming through. And, and this is, look what's happening in the US right now. They're actually talking about another round of, uh, you know, some sort of big package, three, three and a half trillion, whatever it was, as of today, they want to put in. You cannot keep creating all this currency without it creating inflation. And that's what the world is now seeing, this, this rapid inflation. Hmm. So, so you, are you saying then with, with all of this extra liquidity, um, you know, the, the more stable systems we have at the moment may break down with stock market crashes and interest rates going up? And are we, is this what you're, okay. you're predicting? What, what were okay. they? So my forecast three or four months ago was that I believed the Federal Reserve and other central banks would have to taper December this year or January. And... I always said that I don't think there'll be major interest rate rises for a long time. If they do 10 basis points, which is basically 0.1%, uh, maybe one or two of those next year. I think I I might have said at one point, maybe 25 basis points uh, next year. But looking at that now, I just can't see how that would be possible. So even with those interest rate rises next year, which I think could happen, I really think it's 50-50. If, if they did do one, it's going to be 10 basis points at most. I think it's probably going to be 2023 before they even think about that. But tapering, actually, Jerome Powell's now been talking about that and saying that they're probably going to start in December or January this year. Now, how did I know that? Or how did I suspect that? It's really simple. I do things that people just don't do. I go back and look at what they did in the last recession, the recession before. I look at the monetary tools they had, and then I overlap that with what's going on right now and just try and it's like a jigsaw puzzle you've got to try and or tracing paper you've got to try and overlap it and see Mm. what they might might do Mm. now i thought they would do because they're doing 120 billion of qe a month which is obviously causing inflation as we mentioned now what i thought they would do is they would bring it down by 10 billion a month so that let's say you start in january 2022 by the end of the year it would be finished now what they've said has really surprised me they've said they want to do 20 billion a month and end it by the summer. Well, this is a terrible idea. And look what happened just last week with the job numbers that came out. The job numbers, I think it was 720,000, I think was the target, and they got 235,000. Everyone's shocked. Oh my goodness, they're they're in uproar. I wasn't shocked at all. I I mean, I'm surprised they got that many because of everything that's going on. Now, are they really going to taper now? This is the question. I'm not sure. I'm 50-50 because if it were me, would I taper? Well, I'm now in between a rock and a hard place. If I don't taper, I'm going to cause a market crash. Um, not, uh, I don't want to give forecasts and timelines on that, um, but they're going to cause a market crash. Now, they can't raise interest rates because if they raise interest rates, they're going to cause a market crash. That is yeah. fact. Yeah. Every time... Um, stock market will crash. The housing market will reduce as well. And every 1%, let's say they, they increase mortgage interest rates, they're going to bring the housing market down by 10%. So they can't even do, let's say they want to do 2 or 3% rise. They're going to bring the housing market down by 20, 30%. Yeah. So it is a complex situation. There is no perfect solution to this. It's going to end badly. It has to end badly. You, you can't create things out of thin air and expect it not to have an impact. It's like a, an organism, the, the economy and the global economy. Now, the biggest risk, I think, is that 
if something bad happens in the US and there's a stock market crash, housing market crash, in the future, once they start raising rates and they finish the, the, the taper, that is going to be global this time. It's going to be 2008 on steroids. That's, that's the biggest concern right now. So what would you be doing if you were, if people are maybe listening to this and saying this is, it's 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 a, it's obviously a gloomy p- uh, prediction of what's um, of, of what the world may be like. What what would you say to people who are thinking about buying property right now or selling property even? Yeah, now it's because you'll have listeners from all around the world. I can't give a one size fits all because yeah. every. Property is different. Every town, every city, even a, a road within a city is different. Yes. You, can have, you can have one road here. The next road will be half the value. You know, you've seen this in, in places. Kensington in London is a great example of that, you know, although you know, I doubt many people listening will live there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 10 million pound houses and stuff. But in terms of the housing market, really what you've got to look at is if you buy now, let's say that prices continue going up another 20, 30%. And that's possible. It is possible in some countries because if they don't reduce liquidity and they keep rates low, you're going to see asset prices expanding. This is just normally what happens. However, on the flip side of that, if, um, okay, let me, let me just think how to describe it. Cause I'm trying to think that there's so many different people yeah. watching it's hard to sort of give a, a a very good specific example here but yeah let's just say that it goes up 20 30 percent but then however many years later you see a housing market crash and this one's really really deep so let's say like florida in the last one went 50 percent or more well let's say it's that deep and it could be nationwide right so let's say there's this massive crash and i'm not saying this is going to happen i'm just giving it as a hypothetical well you might have gone up 20 30 percent but you've now dropped 50%. So you could be 20% undervalued now. Yeah. And you're sat on that house for 10 years. That's how long it's probably going to take to recover 10 years and you're 20%. Here's the other problem with it. If you, and this doesn't apply to America. It applies to everywhere else where they only have five-year fixed rate mortgages. Now, in the US, you've got 20, 30 years. You can just fix and say, I don't really care what the value of my house is because it doesn't really matter. I can just stick with the mortgage and that's that. But if you're in the UK or Canada and Australia, New Zealand, Europe, and your house is 20% underwater and you want to then refinance, you can't because you haven't got the equity in the house to do it. You're going to go onto a variable rate mortgage, which is going to be a lot higher. And you're probably going to be paying way more than, you know, you you get what I'm saying here. You're not going to be able to afford that mortgage. What if you lose your job? What if, Two of you got the mortgage, but now you've separated or, or one partner has lost their job. There's all these sort of things you've got to bear in mind. Now, personally, I'm not buying property right now, and I'm a property guy. Um, but if I, were, you know, if I were thinking about buying property, I would just be very careful. I would consider everything that I've said very carefully and then make a decision as to what's right for you. If you're in America and you can get a 30-year rate, fixed rate, and you don't care about the values, then it doesn't really matter. If you're investing for cash flow, it doesn't really matter. But if you're, you know, buying it as a house or you're buying it as a home, then you've really got to think about these sort of things. 
Uh, I know that probably wasn't a very <laughs> fluid answer to the question because I'm trying to think of a thousand people in my mind at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I can really, really get that. But I suppose the the the, the, the point that you're making is that if uh, if the if you do find yourself in a situation where you haven't got that equity in the future, you could be paying paying a lot of money for something yeah. that's going to take a long time to catch up again. Um, yeah, I mean, just look at what happened in 08. That's exactly what happened. So many people were caught out by it and the rates went up by a lot. So some people that mm. were paying three or 4% were up to eight or 9%. Yeah. That's a big difference. Just think yeah. the average house now at say 250, 300,000. If you're paying an additional 4% on every 100,000, that's 4,000. Let's say you got a house at um, 300,000. That's 12,000. That's an additional $1,000 or pounds or euros on top of your mortgage right now. Yeah. People don't think about that. I do, I do remember, it was before I, I, I was relatively young at the time, but uh, younger, but at the, I think at the beginning of the, was it the beginning of the 90s or late 80s even, um, you know, the, the, the interest rates in the UK went up phenomenally, didn't they? People were 15, yes. 16%, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you want to look at America oh. in Paul Volcker's day, who was head of the Federal Reserve, boom, 20%. It was, oh. people were just, it, it, des- but, but, Here's the thing, Chris, that would solve all the problems we have right now. If the Fed just put rates up to 25% yes. tomorrow, everything would collapse. You'd see a massive what's called a deleveraging. You never hear it. People talk about it. But you'd see a massive deleveraging. You would see everything collapse by 80 to 90% if they did that, mm. just on average. But what it would do is it would just clean out all the, the junk, it would, just, it would just clean everything out, all the bad businesses, all the zombie companies, all the share buybacks and everything else that's going on. It would just clean everything out. And you would see who is really profitable and who's just living on fake liquidity and borrowing money at zero, you know, 1%, et cetera. Yeah, interesting. So what, so what about people who, who own property at the moment and considering whether to sell it or whether to keep it, you know, property okay. guy? They're doing great. Everyone that's owning property at the moment is doing great. You know, we have, so my wife and I have a house in the UK and that's gone up massively in the last year. And then we have a house in the Midwest as well, USA. Again, that is just, it's exploding up in value like you wouldn't believe. Now, what we're personally looking to do is to buy a farm or a ranch in the US Midwest. That's what we're looking more towards, which ties back into your earlier question, actually, because I am concerned about the future. And I do think that, you know, I'd rather be prepared than not. Pre- it, 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 it just baffles me how a lot of people that I talk to on a day-to-day basis think everything's a conspiracy theory. And, and then it, it doesn't matter. You know, there's people from a year ago say, oh, conspiracy theories. And then you say to them, oh, remember you said that was a conspiracy theory, like central bank digital currencies. I was one of the first people to be talking about that. Everyone said, oh, this guy's a conspiracy theorist spreading all these malicious rumors. A month later, BBC announces central bank digital currencies. Yeah. And now they're, they're global. All the, all the central banks are going to be doing them. Yeah. Um, you know, welcome to my life where everything you say is a conspiracy. And then a month later, it comes out in the news. And then the people that said it's conspiracy you're saying you're making it up, they, they, they disappear or they say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> broken <laughs> clock and all that. <laughs> well, there's also a lot. I noticed there's a lot in, uh, I, got, I got a little bit interested in cryptocurrency 
through through one of my previous previous guests. A number of people mentioned it, so I I got interested. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find out more about it, more about blockchain. So I got a little involved in that. And what I've noticed through learning about that, it was a learning exercise really. Was um, there was so much smoke and mirrors of people saying one thing but doing another mm. as well? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Like, mm. like, give me an example of that. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about you know some of the people in the crypto, you know, who maybe are, you know, saying crypto is not a good thing, but at the same time they're building their holdings. You know, it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a weird, you know, it's a weird kind of hoping to keep it, keep it cheap. So because one day they think it will be worth a, an awful lot more. It's well, you've got to look at, again, you've got to look at his, history and you've got to look what happened in the last bull market, last bear market, etc. And some of these cryptos, because there's thousands of the things, mm. some of them, a lot of them actually just go to zero eventually. But I, I, as you know, I, I have a lot of cryptocurrency. Now, I think it's about 20% of my assets, my portfolio now is in crypto. That wasn't intentional. I only started buying it in November. Actually, my wife's owned crypto for five years. So she has done phenomenal. I mean, I won't even tell you that the number is ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, But I only got into it in November. Now, before that, I thought, oh, it's a scam and whatever, because all these top top guys who I know said it was a scam and everything. But actually, I did a, a, a huge research piece. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of hours into not just cryptocurrency, but macro in general. And the reason I changed my mind on it, what I realized was when I was tracking all the QE and liquidity, if you, and I ask anyone that's listening, go and do this for yourself. You look at the amount of new currency that's being created, and you just overlay that with the stock market, the housing market, um, loads of different equities. And what you'll notice is really, it's not a mystery while all these equities are going up. They're all keeping time with the, the dollar. Now, what isn't keeping time with the dollar? Cryptocurrency. Mm. It is doing its own thing. So I went in, I bought Bitcoin at 18,000 and I bought a, you know, a lot of crypto at the time. I said, well, no, a small basket. I think I bought seven or eight. There wasn't a lot at the time. Bought them very cheap. And then I did very, very well from them. And then I, with my private community, I started to do experiments and things. And we did a 20 coin challenge, which is what everyone still talks about. And we did 250% gain yeah. in a few months. I mean, it was crazy how fast. And then, you know, I, I then adopted my normal mindset approach investor. Okay, guys, let's sell down a lot of this now. Let's go back into normal investment approaches. And, you know, we sold down and then we look for. So one of the things I always do is I'm looking for undervalued assets. You see, most people don't do this, which I don't, I don't get at all. If you're an investor, you don't want to buy things at value. No, no. You want to look for undervalued yeah. assets. Yeah. You buy property when there's a housing crash. You buy stocks when there's a stock market crash. You buy cryptocurrency when there's a cryptocurrency market crash. A lot of people, when it's an, an all-time high, that was a 2.7 trillion market cap back in April, I think it was. People were just going all in. And I'm saying, uh, mm. I would probably wait for a pullback, but you know, up to you. So what I was doing, I was looking for cryptos. I knew a fantastic project, good leadership team. And I was looking at their discount from the ATH, which is the yeah. all-time high. Yes. And for me, you know, I bought things like Dot, KSM, so Polkadot, Kasama. I was buying things like Cardano, uh, ADA. 
was buying all these assets and now some of them are up 150% just in mm-hmm. six weeks or so. Although we've seen a slight pullback over the last week, but that that's normal, um, you know. So I, I, I do believe in crypto. I think it's completely detached. And you've got to think as well, what's crypto? A two trillion market cap compared to equities, which I mean, I don't know, 75, 80 trillion or more. Yeah. And uh, let me ask you this, Chris, when does inferior technology ever overtake superior technology? Yeah. And, and that's what's uh, really interesting, isn't it? Because it's all based on superior technology, crypto. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's so, uh, could, you know, that opportunity, providing it's not um, you know, quashed by government and because they, because they haven't got control of it, have they? Like, uh, no. And, it can, and, it, and it's a feeling that it undermines things like uh, the dollar, potentially. It's <laughs> not so easy to control. Yeah, well, that's just it. But look what El Salvador just launched Bitcoin's yeah. legal tender next to yeah. the dollar. They did not like that. These big, you know, three-letter organizations did not like that at all. Mm. Everyone came out against it. BIS, uh, Bank of International Settlers, IMF, International Monetary Fund. I mean, you name it. If they had a three-letters organization, <laughs> they came out. You know, you probably have Dog Trainers International came out and, uh, against it. <laughs> you know, everyone, a lot of it as well. You've got to – I laugh about it because when people – panic and they like they're crying about their crypto and everything like that i don't really i don't i guess i don't get it you know yeah. when it crashes and you know they've lost 50 percent and stuff but they only lose it when they sell it though don't they surely and if you exactly. take a longer you take a longer term horizon so i have a portfolio of about 30 cryptos mm. um and um not 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 enormous values it's not a huge amount of huge amount although i've got i've only been doing this since early june i've got one that's about Solana, that's about 600%. Oh, um, gosh. You uh, chose an uh, amazing one there. But unfortunately, I didn't put a lot in it. So, um, <laughs> but, it, but it, it's, uh, it's nice. Um, well, I'll tell you, Chris, I miss Solano as well. So uh, there you go. Oh, I think I've got, I think about you know, $100 in it, something like that. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's still um, it's still $600. Um, but yeah. but um, what I do is I'd see it as being a, you know, a 10-year project. You know, so it doesn't matter whether mm. it goes up or down. Well, it, it doesn't really matter. You know, over the long term, I think it's a good thing. Um, and, you, and only putting a, a modest amount of money in initially that I, if I lost it, I wouldn't need to, you know, wouldn't lose my sleep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I say that to people as well. You know, sometimes people join my community or something and they say, oh, you, t- you said this was a great project. I bought it and it dropped by 20%. And, and I say, and they say, oh, I, I lost money because of you or something. I get this maybe once every mm. few mm. weeks. Someone will make Life a comment story. like that. And, um, and then I say to them, no, no, you didn't lose money. You haven't lost money. You know, that, that isn't what's happened at all. It's just gone down. You've just seen a, a sort of retraction. It's going to go back up. This is, yeah. this is normal investing. I yeah. mean, it's usually amateur people who get really upset and start crying and blaming other people when something goes down a little bit. It's like commodities and mining stocks. I said to everyone, I said, and again, I don't put this on YouTube. I put it in the private stuff because it's sort of more investment guidance. So I don't want to just put it out there publicly, but I was talking about mining stocks, commodities, and all these things. And I said, these are going to explode, but they're probably going to retrace a little bit before they explode. So why? Because this is probably the next question you're going to ask me. (laughs) Why will they explode? Well, I look at what the government's talking about. What are they saying they want to see investment in? 
And when I see that, okay, green energy, we're going we're gonna to be 100% green by the year, blah, blah, blah. Mm. No, no, they're not. There isn't enough. It's, it's easy to just say we're going to do something, but you've yeah. also got to think about practical things as well. Yes. Is yeah. there enough lithium? Is there enough of these rare earth metals? And if there isn't and the mines aren't there, it, you can't just click your fingers and invent a mine. You've got to you know, do all the work, send the geologist, you've got to build the mine, you've got to get the, the staff, you've got to, these things take time, the refinery and supply chains, et cetera. So I look at all of this and I say, okay, they want green energy. So I'm going to do some investments into green energy, but at the same time, I'm going to bet against it. I'm going to bet on uranium and what has exploded in the last week, uranium. Yeah. I'm going to bet on that. Why? Because they're not going to hit their targets and then they're going to need um, fossil fuel-based stuff as well to meet that. Mm. And also, how do you think these things get built? What do you think? How do you build a solar panel? You don't build it out of water and, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> leaves. No. You need raw materials to build this stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating, really. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so um, where would you... So, so, so basically what you do is you look, look at areas where you think there's going to be growth moving forward. Uh, yes. And you look, at, look, at th- look for things that are undervalued yeah. and, uh, and you invest money there. Is it better to invest money in tangible things like gold and silver uh, and property? Or is it, uh, is, is it as, as good to invest in you know, less tangible things like cryptocurrency and shares? And- Great question. So I always say to people, you need to have a mixture of both, tangible and intangible. Now, if we go into a period which I think we're going into, and we're already in it, actually, we're already deep into it, you are going to wish that you own a house, okay? You're going to wish that you own some gold and silver. The same time, you're going to wish you own some cryptocurrency. So you've got to look at everything. Let's say in the very unlikely event that was a full deleveraging and everything just collapsed by 80% like it did in the Great Depression. Don't forget the Great Depression, stock market and housing market crashed 80 to 90%. People don't remember these things because generations forget the generation before them. Mm. Yes. So that's what happened. It just crashed very, very badly because it was a great deleveraging that happened. And again, that was a mistake by the Federal Reserve. Again, it was a liquidity crisis and they didn't put enough liquidity in and everything just goes whoosh, like that. You've got to think of it of a downward spiral. Yeah. When one starts to say, okay, we're running out of liquidity, the next, it calls on the next one. The next one calls on the next one. And you just have this massive collapse happen really fast. So I personally, I think that people should have a, a home, but if you are looking to buy it now, it might be not be the right time. Because if you already own a home, I definitely see people all, all the time say to me, Neil, I'm going to sell my home now while it's at a high, and then I'm going to buy it back when it crashes. And I say, ah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, you're probably not going to be able to get a mortgage then. Mm. If everything crashes, you might not have a job. You might not have um, mortgage uh, providers actually offering mortgages. You know, there's all these things you got to bear in mind, but gold and silver, definitely recommend that. I also recommend having a more extreme outlook as well. So think worst case scenario. What happens if all these supply chain breakdowns continue? And just the other night I was in the supermarket 
there was no poultry. There was no fresh fruit and vegetables. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that was only six o'clock. Yes. Uh, they, they said, oh, yeah, tomorrow there'll be another, you know, stock coming in, etc. If this continues and the supply shortages in food and all these other things, people are going to be in big trouble because the average person now, and it's funny when people... Got to, got to, uh, got to hurry up because we've only got a minute and a half left. Oh, no, oh, got no. To, got to next week, so got, got 15 seconds. Oh no, that's it. I'll sit. I'll sit. I'll, I'll finish there, Chris. We could talk all day on this stuff. Uh, we, we can. Can I? Can I um, put you on the spot now? Can we have a part two? Yeah, sure. Part two. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this has been absolutely brilliant. I've um, I've loved talking to you. You're a very inspiring guy, and you're just full of wisdom. And uh, I've certainly learned some things today uh, and got my, got my mind thinking. So, do you, do you have one final message you'd like to leave us with? Uh, just be prepared. Don't just believe everything that you hear on the, the media and what even sometimes what the government say, they're not always right. Um, prepare yourselves. Um, watch my videos. Yeah. <laughs> Where do people go for those? Is that, that's, um, can you get, get those? Yeah, so online? I've got a YouTube channel, Neil McCoy Ward. Uh, I talk about finance and investing or my Patreon. So that's Patreon forward slash Neil McCoy Ward. The Patreon is where I give uh, all the investment stuff. I help people with investing and finance. So there's the two options. Fantastic. Neil, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and if you've got any questions or comments, do send them to me. Uh, do get in touch with Neil. Do check out um, patreon.com slash Neil McCoy Ward. Um, uh, and um, been brilliant. Next week's show, we have Judy Piatkus, founder of Piatkus Books. Um, and uh, Judy, I've known for a number of years. She's fascinating. We're going to talk about conscious entrepreneurship and her incredible story for growing that business and then, then selling it and, and, and subsequent learning because she's, she'd always really run a very conscious uh, business without knowing it initially, which is why it was so successful. So do join us next week to talk to Judy Piatkis. In the meantime, uh, a huge thank you to Neil McCoy-Ward. Take care, everybody. Wish you well. And if you're not listening to last year's show, week's show on sort of my my insights from 10 years do that um, through the archive take care everybody thank you we thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show please join your host Chris Cooper again next Friday at 8am US Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel Be more. Achieve more.